Howdy, 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 and welcome to Thriving in the Transition, the podcast, episode 14. You know what? I feel like I need to apologize because I don't have a cute pun or joke to start off this episode. I tried to come up with one, but it really didn't work, so I'm just going to play it straight. I'm humbled and blessed to be able to bring this podcast to you and to be part of your lives because that's the deal. That's the agreement that we made. Yeah, I know I say that every week, but I mean it every week. Your feedback, your encouragement, and your connection make it all worthwhile for me. Doing this, connecting with you is truly, truly amazing and inspirational. And I hope you feel a little bit of what I feel. So yay me, yay you, and yay us. As we continue to grow and broaden our audience here, please, please give us a five-star rating. Follow us, subscribe, add positive comments, like us, or give us a thumbs up. What I'm ultimately trying to say, what I say every week, you should connect with us. You should engage with us. We're now up and available on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. Simply search for us wherever you listen to great podcasts because we strive to be among that list of great podcasts that you listen to, rely upon, and ultimately find useful. Why am I doing this? Yeah, still no cute jokes or puns to insert in this one, so we're going to keep playing it straight. The truth is, I simply want to practice what I preach. I absolutely believe that part of my purpose in this life is to connect others, to bring people together. I want to highlight and exemplify the fact that we've got more in common than we do in difference. Yes, the differences are much easier to identify, but discovering and appreciating the commonalities, that's much more fun. So yeah, that's partly why I'm doing this. The other part, or the rest of the story, as to why I'm doing this, is that I want to shine a light on those slightly enigmatic, those charismatic and inspirational people among us. I want to share their stories about thriving during times of transition. The theory being that hearing about other people's stories of success will give anyone that may be struggling the motivation or encouragement that they need to continue and thrive in their own respective transitions. This episode, believe it or not, was inspired by my children. I call it, on fatherhood, what I've learned from my children. To ease into this thing, let's hear straight from the source, my kids. I want you to hear from them. Evan is 15 and Duncan is 9. My 12-year-old Liam actually declined to participate in this little family activity, but that's okay. What I did, I went to my kids and told them, hey, thinking of putting you on the podcast. What do you think? I asked them, and two of the three said yes. So, good morning, boys. Remember what I asked you last night? What would you tell other people about your dad as a father? That was the nine-year-old. That was Duncan. All right, Duncan, so what would you tell people about your dad? 
that he is kind and loving. Oh, that's so sweet. Thanks, Duncan. Now, this is where it's going to get interesting. I want you to hear from my 15-year-old, Evan. Evan, you heard Duncan's answer to that. What do you want people to know about me as a father? Um, That you always try to make us be the best people that we can be. Good job, boy. I'll pay you later. So, folks, I got to tell you, that wasn't nearly as bad as I imagined that it would be. And those really were their true responses. So uh, that's the foundation for where we're going. And the cool thing, this is actually going to be the first episode of a new series within the Thriving in the Transition platform. I call it the On series. You know, on fatherhood, on being married, on whatever. There are lots of things that I've learned just from life that have to do with transitions. And the On series will be my way to share those stories and learnings more directly. Don't worry, we're still going to have guests. The guests aren't going to go anywhere. But I figured that this would be a good way for me to share directly from my own experiences versus sort of adding on to other people's experiences. And to kick things off with this on series, in addition to hearing what my kids had to say, I'm going to use a top 10 list. I have fun with these lists and they seem to resonate with folks. So we're going to roll with that. We're going to dig into the top 10 things that I learned about transitions from fatherhood right after this break. Intro and outro music by Genesis 7. You can listen to more of his music on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, or wherever you stream your music. Just search for Genesis 7. That is G-E-N-E-S-I-S, and then the number 7 directly behind it. If you're interested in purchasing music from him, shoot him a note on the contact form on his website at genesis7productions.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to jump into now the top 10 things that I learned about transitions from fatherhood. Number 10, find your style. Challenge what you think you know. Personally, this one took some time, and I think lots of parents struggle here, right? What kind of parent am I going to be? To be honest, I'm still working on it. You heard from my 15-year-old. You heard from my 9-year-old. I'm sure my 12-year-old would have come with something totally out of the box and blown them away, and DCFS would be rolling to my house right now. But that's a whole other show. So what do I mean when I talk about your style? I mean, are you a corporal punishment kind of dad or parent? Or maybe you're the have a conversation with your kid kind of a dad? Are you a as I do, as I say, and not do kind of guy, or maybe that teachable moment kind of parent? You with me? That's what I'm talking about when I mean find your style. For me, my style started with what I knew, and that was based on how my grandparents raised me. Of course, being raised by your grandparents, my experience is completely old school, right? the whole be seen and not heard kind of a philosophy. I was a firm believer in spankings when my kids were younger. So I fell into that 
corporal punishment. I grew up in a time where I'd be sent outside to find a Switch. And if you don't know what a Switch is, I'm not talking about the Nintendo game. Uh, it's a, basically a thin branch growing on a bush that was used to spank me. The experience was made even worse because you had to pick your own weapon, right? You had to pick the instrument with which you would be punished. That's old school. Now, I didn't go the switch route. I, I went the belt route or my hand. But over time, that didn't work for me. I didn't want to be the hitting kind of a dad. I didn't like the way it made me feel. Yes, I still believe it was incredibly effective. But I didn't like the way it felt. For the audience, can you actually believe that I'm the disciplinarian in the house? But I didn't want to simply be used as punishment. Not only for discipline, but also warnings, right? My wife would say things like, you better behave or you'll have to sit with daddy. Then there was the, if you don't behave, you'll have to hold daddy's hand. Or the ever popular leave it to beaver, just wait till your father comes home kind of thing. I'm a connector. I didn't want to simply be punishment to my kids. I wanted to connect with them, but how could I do that when being with me was the punishment, right? If we're out somewhere, you'll have to hold daddy's hand. The only reason my kid's holding my hand is because they did something quote unquote wrong. That's not where I wanted to be. I had to change. No, I think more accurately, I had to choose my style and where I ultimately wound up and what works and is working for me. And you heard it from my kids. I needed to be whatever kind of dad I had to be to raise happy, safe, and productive little human beings. And I share that with the boys frequently. So my style is variable. It changes. It depends on the situation. It depends on the kid. It depends on the severity. It depends on what number repetition it is. And it could range anything from, yes, corporate punishment is still in my toolkit, if you will, but it's way down on the list. And guess what? Because I used that early on, I never have to get that far down on the list anymore. So, you know, just a, a side note. Now, where does this fit in with transitions, right? Choosing your style. I think it's the same thing. It's all about choice, how you respond to things or circumstances or situations. Are you a victim or are you 100% responsible? Are you a more in common or a more indifference kind of person? It's about choice. And here's the thing. If you're not getting the results you want, choose differently. That's the great thing. You can choose your style. You can be the person that you want. You just have to make that choice. Number nine, patience is a virtue and an absolute necessity when it comes to fatherhood. You can't rush anything with kids. From the day you bring them home from the hospital, it's all about their schedule. When they sleep, when they eat, when they poop. There's no running out to the store to grab something. It's a production. You've got to put on a clean diaper. You've got to have a clean onesie, a clean jumper, a coat, the car seat, the car seat cover, the favorite toy, the pacifier, the teething ring. A stocked, a fully stocked diaper bag with enough diapers, at least three outfits, a bottle, 
and who knows you, you don't know what else it could be but now that quick run to the store is now taking you 40 minutes and you haven't left the house yet don't even get me on getting the car seat in and out of the car but it's a production for better or for worse having kids forces you to slow down whether it's explaining why the sky is blue or reading their favorite story for the 749th time. Or in my case, now, asking them to walk the dog, to clean the litter, to mow the lawn for the seventh, eighth, ninth times. Why are there socks in the cushions of the couch and under the couch and on the counter? You see where I'm going? But the same thing applies during a transition. Nothing happens overnight. It's not immediate. It is a process. It's a journey. Just like getting your kid ready to go to the store, thriving in your transition is a process as well. You have to stay patient. You have to remain focused on the destination. Everybody wants to get to the peaks, but keep in mind, you have to go through the valleys as well. You gotta go through those valleys to get to the peaks. That's where you have to be patient. You have to remain focused. Number eight, creativity. Be flexible and adaptable. Sometimes you just don't know what's going to work. And it changes depending on the day. Maybe one day to get the little ones to eat, you use the train. You know what I'm saying? Here comes the train, put it in the tunnel, choo-choo, and you, you got the spoon and you're making the train sounds and moving it towards their face, hoping that they don't knock it out of your hand. Other days, it was the rocket ship, and you make space sounds and rocket sounds, and you're, you're moving the spoon around and hoping the stuff doesn't fall off on you or the new carpet that the wife bought that's the last thing you want to do because she told you not to feed them in the living room in the first place, but you knew better and, and you did, so you're hoping the blackberry mush jam whatever it is actually it was prunes it was the prunes you don't want that all over the new carpet right so you don't know what's gonna happen or if the rocket ship is going to work in that moment some days they wanted to feed themselves you didn't have to do anything they just kind of took the spoon from you and went to town well let's be honest most of the time, it was their hand that they shoved in the bowl or the plate of whatever and rubbed it in their hair and in their ear and up their nose. But some of it did get to their mouth. So you just don't know. Or now, right, in a world of COVID-19, how do you get them to do homework? How do you get them to do their chores and in the downtime, not be in front of a screen all day? No, seriously, how do you do that? We're, we're still working on it. We just came up with the plan. We implemented it this week. I'll let you know if it actually works or not. What works one day might not work the next. That's my point. You have to be creative. You have to be flexible and adaptable. How do you get three kids to five different activities at the same time? Now, that's some creative-ish right there, and we parents do that. You think I'm making that up? That's like everyday life, pre-COVID-19, of course. But those are the things that we deal with every day as parents. That's what I deal with as a father. And these are the same invaluable lessons 
that occurred during a transition. Not only will you need to try different approaches for different things or people or goals, you're going to have to look at some things differently. Maybe there's more than one way to meet the love of your life. Maybe there are different ways to hit your sales quota. Maybe there are different ways to remain in love with your significant others. You're going to have to get creative. You're going to have to be uncomfortable and do things that you haven't done before. It's the same with parenthood. There's not always a textbook or a law or a blog that's going to give you the answer because that answer simply may not work for you depending on the day of the week, depending on the hour of the day, depending on the minute of the hour. Number seven, scarcity is not their reality. This was a big one for me. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you know that I grew up without much. I, I was poor, very, very poor, if you really want to call it like it is. We had to make do with a lot of things, or more often, we had to do without a lot of things. And don't get me wrong, I don't regret for one moment growing up the way that I did. It helped me become the man that I am today. And I learned to thrive in scarcity, to make meal stretch, to be creative, to be happy given just about any situation. That was life for me, and it's aided me tremendously as I've grown and met other people and progressed in careers and aspirations and all that fun stuff. I learned so much from those times. And because I learned so much, I wanted and I still want my kids to learn those same lessons and values. I want them to truly appreciate the things and the opportunities that they have. So being a good father, I did the only thing that I could think of to help deliver those lessons, instill those values. And that was simply, I created scarcity where there was none. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't feed my kids or didn't buy them Christmas gifts or birthday presents, nothing like that. But it did mean those times were always tough for me. And frankly, I struggled spending money on things that weren't necessities. Now, here's an example. I live in the Chicago area. The Morton Arboretum is this huge outdoor arboretum, hence the name Morton Arboretum, see how it makes sense, where they've got all kinds of activities, just woods, acres and acres and acres of woods and trees and plants and vegetation and trails and all that good stuff. Every year in the winter around the holiday season, they have what's called illumination. And they put out thousands of lights and dozens of light displays and there's music playing and it, it really is wondrous it's it's an amazing time of year it's just great quality family time i started taking the family there and we had a blast it was great even if it was cold we were having a good time until the kids would ask a simple question can we have some hot chocolate hot chocolate no, what I you know how much these illumination tickets cost? Do you know how much I spent just to get us in the door and you want hot chocolate? What about the hot chocolate at home? You don't drink the hot chocolate at home. Why do we come out at this illumination and you want some hot chocolate? That's completely ridiculous. 
took myself out of the moment. I was no longer present because hot chocolate was not a necessity. They didn't need hot chocolate. They saw all the other little kids and their families giving them hot chocolate. I wasn't going to be that dad. You needed to value. I needed you to learn that the experience itself was worth it. Right? Me trying to teach my lesson my way. It worked, but I could see that now they're disappointed. Now they're not enjoying the rest of the event, the rest of the display. They were taken out of the moment because they couldn't have hot chocolate. Now, of course, they were wrong, right? Their kids, how they should have enjoyed it no matter what. They should have appreciated that their dad loaded up the car, took the family 45 minutes west to Lyle, Illinois, went to the Morton Arboretum, stood in line, parked, not necessarily in that order, but you get where I'm going. All this stuff that I planned this thing, and here they were, the unappreciative little wretches. How dare they? Scarcity is not their reality. They, they didn't grow up like I did. I had to face that. I had to learn that. While, no, the hot chocolate was not a necessity. It did add to the moment. Those are things that they will remember. Those are things that they will share with their kids, my grandkids. Those are things that they are hopefully going to model their family lives after. It's just not enough to create the opportunity for the event or the experience. You need to make the most of it. Now, if that's buying a $4 cup of hot chocolate when you've got it at home for free, so be it. That's something that I've learned. Like I said, I'm a work in progress. But that's where understanding that scarcity is not the reality was key for me. Now, of course, you can translate this to just about anything that we have done as a family. Family trips, family vacations, trips to the zoo, you name it. Anywhere you take a child, they're going to want something. It's not incumbent upon me to create scarcity where there was none. Yes, that's how I grew up, and it aided me tremendously. You've heard that four times already today. It didn't add anything for them. So what does this have to do with transitions? While I firmly, firmly believe that, yes, we've got more in common than we do in difference, I also have to acknowledge that not everyone is like me. Not all transitions are the same. Not all situations are the same. Not all goals are the same. Just because I'm familiar or comfortable with something doesn't mean it's your reality. My reality or my context is only that, my context. We all don't have the same context, but we do all have context. See, I've said a magic word there about four times, context. We use the word often, but do we really know what it is? Simply put, a context is a collection of assumptions or experiences based on your life that masquerade as facts or reality. Your context is the way you color the world or see the world based on your specific experiences. In my case, my context was thriving in scarcity. I can do just about anything with nothing. That wasn't the same for my kids. I want to give you a, a hopefully more concrete uh, example of context. Imagine you've got two people. 
One is wearing red sunglasses. One is wearing blue sunglasses. Both people do what their doctors and moms told them not to do. They look at the sun. For the person wearing the red sunglasses, if you ask what color is the sun, equivocally, hands down, it is orange. The sun is orange. It rises in the east and sets in the west. It's orange. However, if you ask the same question to the person wearing the blue tinted sunglasses, the sun is green. Unequivocally, hands down, the sun is green. Rises in the east and sets in the west. The sun is green. It's not until you're willing to take off those sunglasses or context that you even have a chance of seeing the truth or understanding the other person. So during a transition, one of the most important responsibilities that you have is to discern and distinguish context, not only for yourself, but for others. That's how you connect with others. That's how you value having more in common than indifference, being willing to take off your colored sunglasses and see things for what they are. And that's what I had to do with my kids. Scarcity is not their reality. Nothing that I can do right now will make that so. Which means, on the bright side, I've done a brilliant job as a parent. My kids are much, 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 much better off than I was when I was their ages. They've got opportunities that I've never dreamed of having when I was their ages. Guess what? That was the goal of me being a father. Yay, I did it. But now the actuality of living out that fatherhood threw me that curveball, right? I, th I think I hit it and maybe it was a, a double or a triple. It definitely wasn't a home run yet, but I'm working on it. So that's where number seven fit. Number six, take nothing for granted. Don't underestimate them. And by them, I mean your children. When it comes to my boys, I can't take anything for granted. That means repeating things, being explicit, whether it's requests or plans or directions. I, like a lot of parents, also tend to underestimate what my kids are capable of or what they understand. You ever have that conversation with your wife, your husband, your significant other, whoever, that code conversation? Well, you know, they always think that. And when we went there and the thing and the stuff, and then your kid comes up and's like, oh, why don't you like Mrs. Jones? I always thought she was nice. Oh, crap. They understood that? They always understand more than I give them credit for. And that's especially true for my youngest. And you heard from him earlier in the show. I keep forgetting that he is the youngest because he is so capable. He is so good at keeping up with his older brothers that are three and six years older than he is, respectively. I take for granted that sometimes he doesn't have the necessary experiences to grasp specific tasks or situations. Or I take for granted that at nine years old, he won't have the necessary motivation to do his on-demand schoolwork during shelter-in-place because the schools are closed all by himself. I remember distinctly one time I was dropping him off at daycare. He was maybe four. And we're outside the door. You have to hit the buzzer to be let in. I'd hit the buzzer, and I'm waiting. And, of course, I'm late for work and all this other stuff going on. And he loses it. He starts crying and wants to be picked up. 
And oh my God, did I get upset. I looked down at him. I'm like, what? Oh, you're only four. Oh, look, come here. Let me. And so I I picked him up and held him and and gave him a kiss and and comforted him. But that's my challenge with him, right? And on the one hand, it's a, a great place to be. But I need to remember that he's only whatever age he is at that time because he's so good with everything else. So I can't take anything for granted with him. I have to remember what age he is, and I'll do the check now. I don't make the assumption, or I try not to. When it comes to a transition, you need to know that every opportunity is an opportunity to make a connection, to tell your story, to create what you want, to get one step closer to your goals. Just because you've shared one part of yourself or your story once doesn't mean that others understand your every move or can read your mind. You can't take that stuff for granted. You need to continually share your goals. In fact, you have to go even further than just sharing your goals. You have to align your words, your actions, and your intentions to maintain consistency throughout your transition. You can't take anything for granted. That's part of your responsibility in your transition. Letting people know where you are, where you're going, what help you might need, or how you can help them during this time. Number five, they're the future. That thing that's bigger than yourself. All right, this is not, I repeat, is not meant to be cheesy or even a throwback to Whitney Houston. For me, I simply find it to be true. I believe that my children are the future. I believe that they are my best and most viable legacy. It wasn't really until I had kids that something bigger than me actually had meaning. Now, something bigger than yourself, that's always nice to say. But what did it actually mean? Something bigger than myself. Seeing that fragile and helpless little person at the hospital, the product of me and my wife was indescribable. It really was. And I think most parents, in particular fathers, will share that sentiment. I knew right then and there, unequivocally, hands down, no questions asked, that I was willing to die to protect that little baby boy. And what's even cooler, that feeling hasn't diminished one iota, having gone through it two additional times. It's the same thing with each of those boys. Let me tell you the story of my first son's birth. At the time, I was still in engineering and operations. In fact, I was working an off shift. I was working third shift at a candy factory, a major manufacturer. I happened to be home, and during the day, I'd do what I normally did. I slept. That was the schedule. My wife tells me, hey, I I think it's time. I, I think I'm in labor. Oh, are, are we ready to go? No, not yet. You know, it's. I'll, I'll let you know when it's time. I go back to sleep. And during that time, amazing woman, she's taken a shower to comfort her labor pains. Again, first time mom. I'm, I'm 
for the most part, oblivious. She wakes me up. It's like, okay, let's go. And so we drive to the hospital, fighting traffic and nervous, not sure how this goes. Clearly, we hadn't done this before. Things are going well, right? She didn't have much pain. She was with it. They checked us in. We're ready to go. Next thing you know, it's like, okay, it's time to push. Holy crap, this is great. All those people that give these horror stories about their birth or the birth of their children, we didn't experience any of that yet. So we're in the room, the doctors are there, they're they're nice, they're they're, you know, friendly, they're cracking jokes, and it's time to push. And they say, "Okay, push." Stop, stop, don't push. I'm like, "Huh, they never say don't stop in the movies." I'm like, "Okay, go to one side." Go to one side. I'm just watching them this they're we're giving birth, we're not making a porno. Why should go into one side? Don't get it. Stop. Okay, let's try the other side. I'm like, not really sinking in what's going on. Finally, the doctor's like, stop. And then it was really like a horror movie. The door to our birth room burst open. No joke, 10 to 15 people come in. Some woman pushes a clipboard in my hands, like sign there, there, check there, you know, give us a blood sample there and leaves. And I'm literally standing there thinking what happened. Oh, by the way, they took my wife with them when they left. So I'm in this room, not really sure what's going on or how we got to this place from having the best childbirth experience ever to the worst. So again, I am now in this room by myself wondering what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where my wife is. I don't know where the doctors and the nurses went. I'm there by myself. After about three, three and a half minutes of this, which let me tell you seemed like an eternity, a nurse comes back, literally throws me a Tyvek suit, one of the basically plastic suits that you put on, could be a, a Halloween costume. But like, put this on. And I'm like, for what? I still don't know what's going on. Your wife's in surgery. We have to do a C-section. How the hell did that happen? So I don't know how to put the thing on. Is it a front or back? Is it like a gown in the movie? Should my butt be out? I, I don't know. So somehow I get the suit on. About a minute later, the nurse comes back by and is like, follow me. And I honestly still don't know where I'm going. When I get to the operating room, my wife's literally tied to a table. Uh, there's a sheet between her face and her belly and I'm kind of on the side nearer her face and I'm like oh this is happening this is how the baby's going to be delivered I look at my wife she is sedated but calm hence the, the sedation and I'm trying to keep it calm but I don't know what's going on and now all those movies where I said it wound up badly. Those were running through my head. I'm like, what if I have to decide between the baby and my wife? Damn. I, it was a legit question. Were we to that point? No. But again, I didn't know anything else. That's where my head went. So I, I tried to pull myself back in the moment. Fortunately, we had a great medical team. 
the doctor, you know, they did what they did. I wasn't watching any of that. Um, did what they did. Evan is pulled out. Um, it's crying. It's healthy. The cord was wrapped around his neck is what we were told once he was actually out. That's why they tried the different positions and the pushing and the stopping because he wasn't budging. And every time she'd push his heart rate would decelerate. Um, so on the back end, incredibly thankful that they acted as quickly as they did. The one little piece was that communication, but I'm, I'm not going to second guess that long story short, Healthy son, first son, daddy's pride and joy. Wife is groggy, but recovering. Everybody's healthy. And there we are. So that was the birth of my first son. Now, clearly, as you can tell, that experience changed me. Not just in the context, not just in the context of now having a son, but in the broader context of being a man. In the context of knowing that there is something bigger than me. In the context of realizing for the first time there are some things that I can't control. I didn't control whether or not that cord was wrapped around his neck. I couldn't control whether or not he was delivered via C-section. I couldn't control what would happen potentially in the deepest, darkest recesses of my mind with my wife after having major surgery, which is what C-section is. No one tells you that. It is major abdominal surgery. I'll spare you the details, but it's not simple as they make it to be sometimes in the movies. They are movies after all. In the context of a purpose, a real purpose, to make sure that that little baby had a life better than mine. Making sure that he had opportunities that I never had. Making sure he was a step closer to never having to worry about living in scarcity. So what's your purpose? What's that thing that's bigger than you? What's that thing that's truly driving your transition? With something like that in mind, how can you not succeed? Because that then is everything. You're willing to put everything on the line for success, to reach that goal, to get to that destination. That's the power of purpose. If you don't believe how strong purpose is, just ask my friend Lucy Coelho. Right? She's a firm believer. We had her on the show a couple episodes ago. All right. Number four. Have fun. So kids do nothing better than have fun, at least before we adults mess it up. No matter the situation, the location, the event, kids find a way to have fun. I don't know if it's their curiosity or simply the world isn't telling them that there are other more important pursuits. What it is, it's inspiring, it's energizing. It's one of the things that adults tend to admire most about children, me being one of them. They can make a game out of anything, picking up toys, looking at ants, playing tag with people that they don't even know are in a game of tag. In fact, we've come up with sayings, and when I say we, I mean adults, have come up with sayings like, youth is wasted on the young to describe this behavior. 
as a father, I absolutely admire my kids' ability to have fun. And I'm learning to join them in that fun more often. However, there are times where I find myself saying things like, stop playing, grow up, be serious, not now. And then it occurs to me what a tragedy that truly is. Could it be that that's why we stop playing and having fun? Because our parents tell us to? Because we learn from them that there are other more important pursuits. Makes me a little sad even to think about it right now that I could be contributing to the loss of fun for my kids. There's nothing more motivating or uplifting than watching kids play. The pure look of joy, the squeals, the snorts of laughter, we all want some of that for ourselves. In fact, my middle one, who you didn't hear from, he declined to be on the podcast at the beginning of the show with the other two. He has zero poker face. Like, you know when he's happy, you know when he's upset. Like, there's no in-between. We got swim lessons for all three boys at the local YMCA. Brilliant organization, brilliant time for everybody. Affordable, safe, all that good stuff. He would go to the swim class and like his face would be lit up the entire hour. Now, this particular class, they learned to dive into the pool. So they went to the deep end with the diving blocks like you see in the Olympics and the instructor, you know, taught him the proper way to do it and the form and, and all of this stuff. And he's concentrating to get the form right. And he's going in and making a splash and it's great. Then near the end of class, the instructor says, just jump in however you want to. Proper form or no, just jump in. This look of just pure unadulterated joy is emblazoned in my mind. Like Liam is the epitome of of what joy looks like as he's jumping into this water and he's proud of himself too. So like all of this is being telegraphed in this look from this little boy, like pride and joy and accomplishment and fun. Absolutely amazing. The point here, I assert that you can have some of that for yourself, even as busy, responsible adults and parents. In fact, those that we admire tend to have fun or make bad situations fun for others. And we've got a special name for those folks. We call them leaders. In a transition, you have to find a way to have fun. In life, you have to find a way to have fun. At work, you have to find a way to have fun. If you can't have fun in what you're doing, you may be doing the wrong thing. But guess what? That's easily corrected. Just choose differently. I use the analogy of being in transition like an Easter egg hunt. You never know what you're going to find. It could be a chocolate egg. It could be a regular hard-boiled egg. It could be one of those plastic eggs. You know, they come in pastel colors and people fill them with Skittles or Starburst or, you know, heaven forbid, some kind of peep, which don't get me started on peeps. But maybe you even find the money egg. You know what I'm talking about. Usually there's one egg, it's gold, or it's bigger than the other ones, and it's filled with money. 
And yeah, it's $5, maybe 50 cents, depending on where you are. But who knows? That kept me motivated through my biggest transition. And as you know, that was my career change from engineering and operations to HR, learning and development and coaching. It kept me engaged. It kept me energized. It allowed me to accept or pursue opportunities that I otherwise would not because I didn't know which egg I was going to find. Now, we're all hoping for the big money egg, but I'm just as comfortable with the plastic egg with Skittles. I like Skittles. It kept me focused. That's what's available to you and more if you have more fun. In fact, I've got to share a joke. Talking about fun, I've been pretty straight this whole time. It's time to have some fun. Get ready for the most amazing joke in the world. You ready? And this is zero exaggeration. Here it comes. What's brown and sticky? A stick. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I'm in my basement by myself laughing at my own dumb joke. That's how great the joke is. So I took you through the top seven things that I've learned about transitions from fatherhood. We're now going to get into the top three, the top three things that I learned about transitions from fatherhood right after this commercial break. All right. Welcome back, folks. We have now hit the top three, right? The top three things that I've learned about transitions from fatherhood. Number three, trust, because you can't control everything. Things are starting to get very heavy now. It's the top three. It's getting real, right? As a father, I can't always be there for my children. Simple truth. When they leave the house, they're literally on their own. And that pains me. With the world the way it is, how can I be sure that they're maintaining social distance? How can I ensure that they're wearing their masks? And as the father of three young black men, the story is way more grim than any pandemic or COVID-19. How can I possibly protect them from someone that might hate them simply because they exist and have brown skin? Even if they're doing common, everyday things that someone with white skin is doing. I can't control that. The sad truth is I can't. No matter how much I want to, I can't control it. I can only trust that my children take the lessons from this house with them wherever they go. I can only trust that they maintain common sense and remain aware of their surroundings no matter wherever they are. I can only trust that they wear their helmets while they ride their bikes. I can only trust that when, not if, when they are stopped by the police, that they are polite, articulate, brilliant, but not too brilliant, not too sarcastic, and don't reach for a cell phone to call me because they're scared, nervous, confused, or frustrated during such an encounter. And yes, I can only trust that they will return home safe and sound. That's all that any parent can do. And it's hard. It really, really is. 
You want to be there. I want to be there. I want to ensure my children are safe. I want to surround them with every ounce of wisdom and love that I can muster at all times. But we can't. We can only trust. The same is true of a transition. You can't control every situation. You can't second guess every choice. You can't blame the world and resign yourself to victimhood. But you can trust. Trust in you. Trust in your purpose. Trust in your ability. Trust in your community. Trust in the destination that you've chosen. That's the only way that you can thrive. Trust that any opportunity is a good opportunity for you. Number two, look for the sparks. With children, you want to make sure that they have a better life than you did. You probably picked up on that by everything I've said up to this point. You want to make sure that they are safe, healthy, and happy. You want to make sure that they can take care of themselves, discover their passions, and create the lives that they want. Now, the world is big and oftentimes confusing. How can you as a parent, how can I as a father possibly make sure that all of that happens for my kids? For me, for us, my wife and me, it starts with the sparks. Those sparks of creativity or imagination that get the boys really excited. Those things that they are drawn to time and time again. Those things that they're good at and they enjoy doing. Those sparks of life that make my kids insanely happy. For Evan, hands down, that was music. Even at an early age, he was always attracted to music or toys that made music or games that made music or ice cream trucks, anything that played music. I like to take full responsibility for that because when Kelly was pregnant with Evan, uh, I had this black Jeep that had a subwoofer. And I liked my music and I liked my bass. And the bass would, would thump. And clearly the baby would feel it. He understood rhythm in utero. And so, Evan, you're welcome for your love of music. That's Evan. Liam, his spark is equity. He's 12. How do I know this? Being the middle child, he is always concerned with who has what and how much. Middle child syndrome, right? But more importantly, he translates that to an amazing sense of empathy for others. He's acutely aware of inequity and social injustice and is often the person in his social circle to try and keep the balance. Now, he's also sometimes the person that throws things out of balance, but that's just being 12. Then there's Duncan. His spark is art. Drawing, creating, doodling, painting. He can create and take the most mundane of art assignments and make it something special. He even uses his art as a way to connect with others. He'll often draw subject matter that others love. He'll reproduce characters from his brother's favorite movies and TV shows. Simply amazing. As a father, I want nothing more than to give my kids exposure and or create the opportunity to fan those sparks into big roaring fires of passion, achievement, 
success, and ultimately happiness. Now, I realize that their sparks are not my sparks. Try that. Been there, done that. Doesn't work. As much as that's a blow to my ego, I accept it. I understand. So what about transitions? What do these sparks have to do with transitions? Notice your own sparks. Notice what you are drawn to. Use that as a jumping off point for setting a destination. You also want to take note of other people's sparks. What are they drawn to? How can you help? Maybe your spark is helping others connect to their spark. Use all those little sparks to your advantage. Consider them fuel. They're clues. They are the breadcrumbs that can lead you to the other side of your transition. That little spark is everything. All right, folks, you've waited a long time for this. Number one, be in the moment. Just like the little sparks, the little moments are everything. But they can only be everything if you recognize them and are there to enjoy them. First steps, first bottles, first solid foods, first words. All these firsts, all these moments can easily be missed if we choose to miss them or overlook them. We can be busy with work, with producing podcasts, with our own relationships, whatever. And I'm not just talking about those big mo- those big memorable moments. I'm also talking about the little ones. Sharing a sunset or a favorite recipe. Those moments when they actually get what you're talking about. The first time you can have a real conversation with them. Right? What I noticed as a father, what I've loved about my kids when they're babies, like when they can't talk yet, when they don't move much and I can hold them and play with them and kind of do what I want. Then there's that phase from about three to six where they can move and they're figuring out life and they don't listen and they just do their own thing. They're their mother's children at that point. But then they come back to me around that six to seven age where we can have conversations and talk and connect on that level. Right? That's just me. But that's where I am. Volleyball games, basketball games, gymnastics tournaments, track tournaments, orchestra concerts, violin audition standardized test results, crushes, homework, teacher conferences, family reunions, family vacations, walks around the block during a pandemic. Life is filled with these moments. The more present you are, the more meaningful those moments are, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant. You can't dwell on the past. You can't fear the future. Otherwise, you're taken out of the moment. I think by now it's obvious how this plays out in our transition. You've heard me talk about it in other episodes. We are at our best in the moment. You are your most engaged. You're the most impactful. And there is the most opportunity when you're in the moment. If you're in the moment more, you will thrive more. Boom. Top 10 things that I learned about transitions from fatherhood. A quick recap. Number 10, find your style. Challenge what you think you know. Number nine, patience is a virtue and a necessity. Eight, creativity. You have to be flexible and adaptable. 
Number seven, scarcity is not their reality. Number six, take nothing for granted. Never underestimate your kids. Number five, they are the future. They are that thing that's bigger than, in my case, myself. Number four, have fun. Number three, trust, because you can't control everything. Number two, look for the sparks. And number one, be in the moment. Let me know. I'm really curious which of these 10 things resonated the most with you. And are you going to do something differently as a result? Now, of course, this is my list and your list is going to be different and things are going to be different based on the type, number, and gender of your kids. But I tell you this, my kids keep me on my toes. They are why I do literally everything that I do, even when they don't know it or appreciate it. One day it can be frustrating. The next day they can be loving. And the next awe-inspiring. And I think I said day. Um, maybe I should have said minute because things are changeable like the weather in Chicago. That being said, my kids continue to amaze me. They continue to teach me. Not only about them, but about myself as a parent, as a father, as a man, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as any of those titles that I give myself or that you might give me. I hope that these things that I listed, I hope they allow you to thrive in the transition. All right, folks, that brings us to the end of Thriving in the Transition, episode 14. Thanks for joining, and thanks for allowing me the opportunity to be myself. If you're getting something from this podcast, please give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcast. Share, subscribe, add us to the other great podcasts that you listen to. Follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Logic Consulting. Also, follow me on Instagram at Logic Coach, L-O-G-I-Q underscore coach. You know what? Also, follow me on Spotify at GQ Down. Not just the podcast, but follow the music side of Spotify as well. Discover the music that I use to help me thrive in a transition. Reach out on LinkedIn at DJ Will Rock. And don't forget the YouTube channel goes by the same name, Thriving in the Transition. And then there is the website, www.thrivingintheTransition.com. Now you can get all of our episodes right from that website. There's a page specifically for the podcast where you can get caught up on all the episodes. Just go to the website. While you're there, look around. See how else we can connect. Lastly, if you are interested in supporting this podcast, if you're interested in helping us grow, send me an email, a tweet, an IM, a direct message, whatever. You're going to find a sponsorship button on my homepage on Anchor FM, www.anchor.fm forward slash T-I-T-T, T-I-T-T for Thriving in the Transition. Again, look for that sponsorship button. But most importantly, don't keep this a secret. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your coworkers. I appreciate you. Until the next episode, cheers. Have a great day, folks.